Oh my goodness, what a great episode it's been so far, right guys? Wow. So speaking of plugs, right? Speaking of plugs, oh my goodness, do we have a beautiful, beautiful plug for all of you this week. We actually have a special guest with us here to talk about some of the amazing work that has been going on in the distinguished, yes, distinguished uh, BDS uh, working group, right? The BDS Palestine Solidarity Working Group. That's right. That's the homie MJ. You know him, I think. You love him, definitely, if you know him. Please, MJ, introduce yourself and tell us about some of the work you've been doing. Well, that that was a, that was a really, maybe one of the better intros I've ever had for anything in my life. Um, <laughs> I definitely don't, so I'll say nobody, <laughs> nobody knows me, and that's intentional, and we want to keep it that way. Um, <laughs> don't want to be on anyone's radar. Um, but, but, yeah, happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Um Looking forward to, obviously, we just uh, dropped the uh, statement about council member Nithya Rahman. Looking forward to talking more about that and, uh, you know, making sure we, we continue to get our narrative out, get the narrative out of Palestinians generally. Uh, we had uh, an early cosign uh, on this. Uh, it was PYM uh, LA and the, like the greater LA area as well. So, yeah, so looking forward to talking about that. Um, as far as stuff that we're doing that I quickly want to plug, we are currently right now uh, planning to release like a convention resolution um, related to anti-Zionism in DSA. There's a long history of Zionism in DSA. Uh, people don't realize this, but actually DSA's like literal roots uh, were Zionist. Actually, the first resolution so like there's a, there's like this uh, document we have that we're going to link to in the anti-Zionist resolution. Like th there was this merger document called Political Points of Unity between Nam and Disak. The very first, there's like resolutions on page 15 of this document. And the very first resolution is one that DSA will continue to support uh, funding uh, or support uh, U.S. aid to uh, Israel unconditionally and it centers Israelis. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, we're going to have that document. We're going to get that released to the membership, hopefully, because I think people are woefully uneducated, uh, about, uh, about like the history of the yep. world. So there's that coming out, uh, in a week. And then I just want to also really quickly plug our no appetite for apartheid campaign. Uh, it's been difficult. We, you know, obviously we have, uh, we, we feel we've been, and I think rightfully so, like, I think it's hard to say we haven't been under attack from, <laughs> from our own uh, parts of our uh, national structure that we're under. But we're really running an amazing campaign. We've got eight apartheid free zones that we've like uh, helped to, to get moving um, and to, to help get off the ground. So that's been awesome. And uh, we're looking forward to continue building that out. We have a lot of interested potential movement partners. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't think I'm distinguished, but I, I do think our group is distinguished. And that, that makes me proud to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, I think some of what you're talking about with the convention stuff, too, is what we were talking about. It's like some of this stuff will pass, but and like the membership is excited about it. But because of the way that convention is structured, because of the pace it's at and maybe like some sort of trust in leadership, um, and just trust that somebody else maybe is taking care of it for them or upholding these resolutions and carrying them out. It's really easy for things to pass and then it not um, end up almost like meaning anything in between conventions. Yeah, uh, just really quickly, I do want to know our resolution's title. Like I said, I'd rather it 
you know, I want to make sure we get an internal release on it and all of that. And I don't know what the schedule is with this podcast, but the title of it is Making DSA an Anti-Zionist Organization in Principle and Praxis. And we have ways that we're planning to enforce that, hopefully, or as long as convention uh, mm-hmm. convention, which, as you said, Maria, is uh, that's that's where the work is ahead of us for sure. I was just going to pick up on what Maria said earlier. Um, the uh, you know, PDS is part of the DSA's platform, uh, and it's it seems to be forgotten whenever an election comes around, mm-hmm. uh, no no matter who it is, or when convention comes around, and we always end up having to reaffirm our position on BDS. Um, it's really unfortunate. So I, I just want to make sure that that piece of information was available to our listeners. Yeah, reaffirmed it like 80 times. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So first, before yeah. I go into a whole thing here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to thank you, MJ, right? Obviously, for joining us. Thank you for all the work that you and all the others have done with the BDS Word Group. Um I know I sure have uh, been around the block. I've uh, done my time, as they say. So I, I have a lot. You, you all have my undying love and support, those who, who keep the fight going. Um, you ready for some story time? Do we have time for some story time? Oh, my goodness. Story, oh, story time. Oh, my goodness. Story time with us. Yeah. We love it. We love story time. Im open up the DSA vault. <laughs> You already know. Oh, no. Okay, so oh my goodness, and it's after dark hours. Oh, we love it. We love it. Oh my goodness. Get so, the Maria's fart lawsuit. <laughs> oh shit! Here we go. Bring it. Bring it. I signed. I, uh, <laughs> I was about to say something very bad that I'm not going to say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but now you about to get me in trouble. Okay. No. Okay. So story time. Oh my goodness. So I'm about to say something that I think some of you here, probably MJ, probably Maria are already aware of no don't fix it in post leave it in there no i'm just kidding um <laughs> do whatever fuck you want um what was i about to say i ain't in the fucking board anymore come sue me i don't give a shit um no what was i about to say okay um the bds working group itself okay even before that even before that um i really admire a lot what you said at the end there mj and kind of what you riffed off there cb as far as uh uh um having uh making dsa an anti-zionist organization in practice right not just on paper right actually in practice as well and i think it's important to remind people i you know i was there in chicago at the 2017 convention when uh bds was adopted as like a national policy or whatever the fuck right um literally the entire point of the formation of the bds working group in 2019 was with this explicit purpose, right? Uh, turning uh, what was already adopted as policy into practice. That was literally the explicit purpose of it. Um, and the biggest reason they did that was because of what you just said there, MJ, um, which is uh, DSA was founded as a Zionist organization, right? And that is how it defined itself as its position within the constellation of the US left, right? It was always, and I don't want to get too jargony or whatever the fuck, but it was always defined as like a very like, this might piss people off here. Are we ready to make some haters big mad, right? It was always defined in a sort of Trotskyist tradition. What the fuck do I mean by that, right? A, a sort of workerism, right? That is to say, like, well, Israeli workers are our brothers too. How do we support Israeli work? Well, okay, we can't be talk- talking about BDS, right? That sort of thinking, which, as we know, steamrolls the global south, right? Steamrolls POC, right? It's that sort of thinking that is, well, you know, uh, working class first, right? Where you, which leads to sort of the sort of like I would say, as a Hispanic, offensive rhetoric about oh why are we shipping jobs to Mexico right? What the fuck is that supposed to mean right? Aren't we <laughs> socialists? Aren't we supposed to be supporting the international working class 
not just the U.S. working mm-hmm. class, right? When you're just supporting the U.S. working class, you're not a socialist, right? Being a socialist is supporting the international working class. Everybody fucking everywhere. Um, but okay, that's a little bit of a... No, Austin, I, I hate to cut you off. Actually, Please. as a Palestinian, I've been told many times I'm supposed to put my uh, my needs and my family's direct needs uh, to the... To the- <laughs> My family literally every day has to drive through checkpoints that they could die and get shot at. But but because people need health care, we need to I need to wait mm-hmm. and, and we need to wait. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, so I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about fully. I really don't. <laughs> no, exactly. No, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm glad you, you you say that. Right. Because that's important. Right. Like and uh, they treat me, it like we live on another fucking planet, bro. They treat it like like we're from another planet. One million percent, one million percent. Once again, I, I've seen this shit firsthand too. So, so once again, just endless uh, respect for for you and all the other homies uh, doing the work there. And once again, I could rant forever about all this, but you know, we'll say that for another one. Please go ahead. Well, yeah, no, I I want to I want to say in exchange, actually, respect to people like you and Olivia Catby who uh, paved the way uh, within DSA. I think one thing that ultimately. Um, we, we've done a lot of thinking about where where has where have the failures been where where can we continue to grow right uh, as like like to, to continue to reform this organization because I think you guys were part of this uh, very insurgent movement within DSA um, and I think that's what a lot of people miss when they end up leaving DSA is like it's easy to get bogged down when you're like seeing these reactionaries and they have like really big platforms and stuff it's easy to get demoralized but the truth is if you really look at DSA, like just look at it from the outside, almost like a stock trend, right? It's been trending left now for years and that still hasn't stopped. Like we're still pushing issues right now that that were not being raised before. The reason why they're so contentious is because the old group of people there, like they didn't realize like when they endorsed Bernie that they fucked up like that's because they because they opened the door for people to, to come in and to say, oh, well, well where am I going to go? Where do I organize? And you can go to the DSA. And now we we all came in thinking it was one thing, but then discover it's a whole other thing. And so with what like what you did and others did uh, with that DSA BDS, uh, with the, the BDS resolution, right, in 2017, the one that we've reaffirmed and reaffirmed and will continue to reaffirm until the end of time, right? <laughs> uh, that, what, what I, I don't know if I told you this, Maria, but I've been trying to tell people, I really want to like... I would really like, I wish I had the time to like write an anti-Zionist history of the organization because it's really fascinating. What you guys wrote in that resolution was the first piece of anti-Zionist rhetoric in the history of the organization. The the problem is it's not targeted around that. It's targeted around, um, around really BDS national committee language. But to me, like, uh, I think it's important to, to tie people down to principles and then lay out action specifically for what happens when you don't commit to those. In 2017, it would have been way too early. It was extremely controversial, even passing support for BDS. Um, but but as far as the BDS working group goes, when I got there, it wasn't really, it wasn't formidable in and of itself. But what you guys did, and I don't know if this was the intent or not, was you actually opened the doors for Palestinians like myself to at least see an opening and be like, oh, okay, this is like, they support BDS. They say they do at least. And, you know, they seem to say a lot of the right things and they seem to care about Palestinians, which, you know, easy to say, uh, seems, I guess it's harder for some people to follow through on, but yeah, like that literally, like you guys paved the way, like with that stuff, like the conventions, those conventions paved the way for an insurgent movement now 
an insurgent BDS movement, an insurgent movement of Palestinians. Yeah. And it's not just me. I'm far from the only one, like far right. from uh, in terms of like who we have internally, who we have uh, externally right now with us. Uh, it's This is a, an insurgent movement. Um, and I think people, that's what people are scared of is like just letting us through. And that's why they don't want to give us the platform. That's why they delete us from the forums. That's why they changed the whole damn forums because of us. They changed the whole thing. Right. So, so, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, your, exactly your friend CB right. is is banned from the forums until April. Wait, who is? Uh, I am. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, what, what you statements did you use on there? <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. Okay. <laughs> Um, this is sort of exactly what we we're talking about earlier too, though, like the idea of getting over when you're not supposed to get over, right? Because like they did not plan for the BDS working group to have this much support. And they scrambled to shut the group down when they realized that the membership was on the BDS working group side, I think is exactly what happened. The same as what we were talking about with Austin and other people who've like, you know, disrupted what they think the narrative is going to be and what their plans are going to be. Um, I think I've told you, Austin, too, I'm going to keep putting you over this episode. You know, that that resolution was also the reason I joined DSA. You know, I think we have to actively make spaces for people. And we weren't doing that before. Um, Maria, I, I saw the clip. I saw the clip yeah. uh, years ago. And I, w- I literally was like, oh, yep. that's a really interesting development. Because as Palestinians, we don't trust. It, you could say you're a leftist, mm-hmm. whatever the, like whatever you want to say you are. But we don't trust. Like, like until we see actions done or at least, and, and so in the end it was rhetoric, but it was, it was an action. And to see people waving the flag and like, like saying like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Like that is like, it seemed fearless. And it's really sad because when you have that, like in any grassroots organization, you get people to like, believe you, you have that spark in people, you know, you light that spark. So just super duper to be clear. So I, did not write any of these BDS resolutions, right? I was a part, so the, I was in 2019, the resolution that created the BDS working group, I was a part of the process to get it passed because something that I have seen in every single situation, not even just with uh, Palestinian solidarity, when it comes to foreign policy, there's a very interesting trend I've always noticed within DSA, which is every single major caucus, caucus will always treat these foreign policy issues as if they're radioactive because they're terrified of taking bold positions. But when it goes to a convention floor, they sail by with like 80% of the membership almost every time, right? Almost every Mm -hmm. time. I remember in 2017, I was a part of the small contingent on the convention floor that chanted from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And people gave a shit for it. There were people in at the time in 2017 saying, this is anti-Semitic. How could you, how dare could you guys do Yeah, yeah, the Zionists. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So like you say, it was even contentious to an, here's the thing. It's a, it's what I try to tell people was that it's just a vocal minority. It's a well-connected vocal minority, right? That opposes a lot of these bold foreign policy positions. The reason I was there, part of that effort in 2019, was because I was introducing a resolution regarding decolonization around Puerto Rican solidarity, because I'm Puerto Rican, right? And the reason I was doing that was for the exact reason that MJ and Maria just described there, right? Which is, I want what I would tell my other Puerto Ricans in DSA is I want to throw up the bat signal. I want to throw up the bat signal to other POCs saying there's a home for you here, right? Yeah. There's people struggling here and we need you here to help us, right? Even though it was just like rhetoric or whatever. I like the theory was if we put that out there, people will see, right? 
Um, so it uh, when it almost brings a tear to my eye to hear you both say that sort of shit that 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 it worked in that way. And it was I'll, I'll shut up now. No, first of all, I never say that you're 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 so on point right now. And and I just got really excited because I wanted to tell you that we cite resolution 50. I think it was in 2017. Correct me on the year, but I think it was in 2017 resolution 50. We cite it uh, and, and we use it as uh, as an example for how DSA already, like you said, this is this is what convention said. We are uh, an anti-colonialist organization. As much as people try to, to play like we're not, that is what we are. Until they can literally make it so that the delegates don't push this through and the membership isn't, this isn't the will of the membership, they can't win. We have the truth at our backs with our message. And on top of that, also the membership's with us. It's just they get squashed and silenced. All of us do. So, yeah. Yeah. One thing you were saying to MJ that had me thinking was like the idea that like, well, we need Medicare for all now. And I feel like this, I like the, there's a push, especially among the electoral wing to take these kind of what, even though they're like big, no shortcuts guys, right? Like they attempt every single fucking shortcut. <laughs> like, And so it's like, well, we can it. elect somebody. Okay. They're not going to get it. Yeah. If they don't have mm-hmm. clarity with anybody, who the fuck is your coalition? You're not going right, to get it, bro. Right. I'm not going to get my health care. No one is. I, like, yeah. That's what they don't get. And that's how we end up with, like, I think these council members and these congressmen who will, like, immediately and, like, to our faces tell us they will turn their backs on tenants, turn their backs on poor people, turn their backs on Palestinians, any, you know, cop increasing cop budgets and stuff like that. I think that is exactly how we get to this point is by being like, well, th- these issues don't matter. And when you start parsing out issues like that, I think is exactly when it's easy to start making excuses for every single thing and think everything keeps falling off all of a sudden when you're like, well, this thing's okay. Well, this thing's okay. And that's how we end up with, um, I think representatives in air quotes, <laughs> like Jamal Bowman and like Nithya Rahman in LA, who's, you know, voted for head. sweeps, increased the police budget, voted for the, um, yeah, for the IRA definition of anti-Semitism, which is just like a, a way to, honestly, I mean, besides the fact that it's anti-Palestinian, it, it is ultimately just a way to crack down on activists of all kinds. And we have to understand that, like, Palestinian solidarity is just so essential to any type of activism um, and anything that we hope to do. Uh, I don't know. But you, but the BDS Working Group just released a statement about that. Now, I do have to say, please uh, watch how you talk about my comrades, okay? They are, uh, that's Comrade Bowman and Comrade uh, Rahman. Uh, increasing police budget, sending uh, funds to Israel, uh, literally aligning with uh, not not Bowman. Bowman, uh, God bless him, is a full-on liberal Zionist uh, and and sits in that lane uh, proudly. And then Nithya, on the other hand, people don't realize like just because a group has Democrats in their name, that doesn't make them left in any way. Uh, Nithya is aligned with, uh, it, with she sought the endorsement of DFI in LA, uh, Democrats for Israel, Los Angeles uh, chapter. Uh, and uh, if you go to their facts and fiction page, we have it linked in our statement. They literally deny Palestinian genocide, and they also deny uh, Israeli apartheid. So this is this is and and on top of that, also I should note this IRA definition that you brought up, Maria. It's literally uh, it conflates anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism, and it's so far uh, beyond the pale in terms of how destructive it is and how much it's like clearly intentionally uh, meant to like stifle Palestinian speech. Even J Street released uh, like a whole op-ed about how like we are not touching this. Like this is even too much for us. So, so that's who Nithya is aligned with. Nithya is not a liberal Zionist. Just for anybody who knows that distinction or wants to make that distinction, 
Nithya is not a liberal Zionist. Nithya is aligned with right-wing Zionists, and she's doing the bidding of a fascist colonial government. No questions. I'm going to ask, um, and since my first time tagging in here, I want to thank MJ for coming on. Um, we welcome the comrade. Um, so I, I, I wanted to ask you about like the importance of holding, um, like holding people accountable, like not only like within the organizations we're in, but also the elected officials that were often like a lot of our, our actual comrades work goes into getting them elected or, you know, gaining popularity with uh, Nithya Roman being in, in here in Los Angeles was one of these people, especially. Um, I was wondering if you could, you've, you've already done it a little bit, but the importance of like holding, uh, I don't know if this phrase is good anymore, but I, it sounds so violent, but holding people's feet to the fire, you know, like checking and balancing basically. And like, not only within organizations we're in, the importance of doing that, um, but also because I felt like there's, um, I think a dearth is the right word, but of, of this kind of like checking when we do get people in the follow-up I feel is, is always like so shallow or it's, it's just like, we're just going to kind of like cross our fingers and hope that this person acts right. When we know that we've kind of sent them into a system that has them doing all the things you described, you know, supporting police and, um, the Israel lobbyists and whatever. Um, so I was wondering if you could just talk about what drives, what drives you, what, what, how would you explain the importance to people who are organizing to follow through in this way? Um, when we do get what's, what might be considered like small victories by getting somewhat like progressives into these positions, kind of the utility of, of uh, all of these, all of these like really powerful campaigns, including the statement, you know, the, the importance of doing these things within, within circles that might turn to you and be like, Whoa, you know, like cool, cooler jets or like, we've got someone in there who want, you know, who won't do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> I experienced this with like a homeless organizing unit, right? We're like constantly dismayed with this LA city council. So like, I feel you. And like, we don't get a lot of support on checking uh, people once they're in office. So I'm really fascinated by this. And uh, anyway, I've asked a question, so I'll, I'll swing it to you <laughs> talking about the importance of doing what you're doing yeah. right now, what you've been talking about. That's a big question. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, for starters, I think it's hard for people. Um, so DSALA, we talk about it in our statement too. We, we did some background research and found out how much uh, the organization really threw their weight behind Nithya. Like this wasn't just like a Jamal Bowman deal where he kind of just came on at the last minute and they were like, yeah, we'll endorse you. And it's kind of just like a credibility sort of thing. Like they actually, like they put in work for Nithya, like knock doors. I think they said four or five yeah. things, literature drops, uh, like mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So um, many fundraisers. Yeah. I think it can be hard. And you guys can center me by the way, if I start to digress, because there's a lot of points actually I want to dig into here. Um, as long as you guys have the time for it. Like, um, I think, I think that like, it's hard for people to admit at a certain point that like you put in all this work for somebody who is just like complete, like they completely used you. Like, I think it's really hard to admit that. And it's really sad. And, and mm -hmm. I feel for like the honest grassroots organizers in LA broadly and DSA, DSA LA specifically, 
um, that they got played like completely. Um, maybe they didn't know the right questions to ask to at the time. So that's another thing is, right, you want to first, before holding electives accountable, you want to make sure that they're already in there with you, right? Like that's that's really the key to me is like making sure that we have like uh, an endorsement process where like they're already like by the time they're in the door, they've been vetted. Like preferably you get like members, people who already align with you, right? Stephanie Gallardo was a great example of that. And unfortunately, the National didn't endorse her. And also she got randomly attacked by Marianne Williamson. That's a separate thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I I think first and foremost, you get people who are already there on the issues, right? People you don't have to educate. Now beyond that, right, there's nothing wrong. Like nobody's going to know about every issue. So like, the issues that Austin's speaking to international ones and how like people really don't, they, they don't, they, they really do think like a lot of Americans do think like, well, if you're not like, if we're not talking about something directly in America, it's not really um, like a, a socialist issue and that couldn't be further from true. Um, but, but there is still like, I think it's hard. I do sympathize with people. Like it's hard to know every issue now, granted is my job politics. No. Yet. Do I stay educated as much as I can? Yes. Uh, would I be open to education? Yes. Is it a problem that these politicians, a lot of them don't seem to be educated on the issues, right? Maybe if that, that's a good faith interpretation, don't seem to be interpret, uh, don't seem to be up on the issues. Right. Um, so yeah, like when it comes to when it actually getting around to the point of like holding them to account, right. It starts with sure that they're actually open to education and things like that. We've seen now with Bowman. Bowman literally was not uh, interested in it. He, it was weird. He actually seemed to really, he said, uh, this is a quote from that room, that meeting that occurred between him and BC, all of them. Uh, he said, I want to be good on Palestine. He said it just like that, according to our rep. I want to be good on Palestine. But then we never heard from him again. And we stuck talking to his chief of staff. Who ends up backtracking on everything that he promised us in that room right so like from there right i think that talking specifically about ways to be accountable i think that a lot of people in in our leadership they don't understand basic psychology right so and i can't say too much about my position for listeners for the record because i'm a palestinian i have to be very careful about putting myself out there too much Uh, I do go back to Palestine every now and again, um, and I want to keep that door open for myself. Uh, And when we speak out, they put our name on a blacklist. If you support BDS, period, and you're public like that, they will put you, uh, you're you're on a blacklist. You are considered a national security threat uh, in Israel. So that's why I'm kind of keeping it anonymous. What was I saying, though, again, guys? I did lose my train of thought. Sorry. That's why I suck on podcasts. (laughs) Sort of like what what does accountability look like? I feel like was the right. So a lot of so so a lot of these uh, a lot of these like leaders that we have, they don't seem to understand basic psychology. They don't seem to understand how operant conditioning works. Right, that you have to have something there to dangle as either reinforcement or there has to be some kind of consequence for people. Right, as in like a negative consequence. So you need positive and negative consequences to uh to get people to do the right thing sometimes like if they're not already there on the issues right you need positive and negative consequences to get them there um i was gonna say i think it's the educating people and being open to that and then working with them and yeah go ahead austin yeah no i definitely understand what you're what you're saying there mj like i feel like um 
I feel like during my time in leadership, and this is like no shit, I guess, to everybody here, right? And I'll try and keep this brief. A lot of people in leadership are just really bad at handling criticism, right? A lot of people in leadership, like you touched upon earlier, MJ, are very bad at admitting when they've made mistakes, right? Or where they've gone wrong, um, which is a bad way to be a socialist, right? Admitting what you've done wrong is key to socialism. That's how you adapt. That's how you learn, right? We are putting exactly self-criticism. God damn, right? Like I see people in leadership who will espouse philosophies that have self-criticism as a core component. You'll see, what did they talk about? We got to build power. What the fuck do you guys think that means in oh, practice, yeah. right? It's not just a fucking sentence, right? Can I jump in? I'm Please, sorry. Go Can ahead. I jump in because you just now set me off again. They don't understand power. <laughs> they don't. No, like literally um, in, in terms of like, like, okay, there's hard power. There's soft power, right? Soft power is all about like, uh, like, like uh, you... You can, so, so like this idea that we don't have power, right? The, which they're talking about influence. We don't have this ability to influence these uh, politicians, right? That couldn't be further from true. Why was Bowman so quick to, to meet with us? Twice, by the way, if you count the, the, the meeting with our working group. It's because Bowman, for whatever reason, values being a DSA member, being called a uh, part of the DSA endorsed candidates, right? It's actually part of the squad's like uh, branding that they do. Right. So like you literally can like think about how we literally wasted the opportunity to completely clown this guy. Like we wasted it. We had it literally international. I don't know if you guys saw this, but like international press in Israel was like covering like their biggest newspaper was covering what the DSA was doing. Our working group and also the NPC's uh, decision. Like you had the ability to make a real statement. And then and then from there, talking about the psychology of it again, you get people by uh, th- these politicians when they see a-, a politician actually get punished, like Bowman, as an example, AOC, Thea Rahman, right? Greg Kassar, like all these people, Maxwell Frost, who I found out recently is actually a member of DSA, apparently um, not endorsed, but apparently a member. All these people, it's vicarious reinforcement. And then they learn from that. Right. That we we do have lines. First of all, you definitely can't be an endorsed candidate. But honestly, why are you a member? Like, why are we lending you our brand? Right. Which I mean, like, let's be honest to like to leftists who are really plugged in. Being DSA is actually more of an embarrassment. Like you have to be like, I'm DSA, but hold on. Hold on. Here's the deal. Right. Right. (laughs) I'm not one of those DSA people. But when it comes to more mainstream, uh, like leftists more in the mainstream who maybe aren't as plugged into the kind of like uh, grassroots movements that we're all plugged into, right? Like where we want to get them. For a lot of them, they do view DSA as, and it's kind of true, DSA is the, the most left mainstream institution in the U.S. probably, right? I, I, I struggle to think of, of any others. And that's not, we, and that's why it's so key. Like the, the battles and the conversations we're having in DSA, they, they have high stakes, Right. And so you can. So I just want to be clear that you can absolutely hold these people to account. The problem is people just I I, again, this is where it's hard to not go into intentions. You have to question, like, why are some people this vehemently defending even Bowman? Like you could chalk some of that up to ignorance. But at a certain point, we made it clear we're the people to be following on this. Follow Palestinians. 
right? All these grassroots organizations in the diaspora are telling you what to do and you're not listening. We told you again what to do yeah. uh, when it came time to, to, you know, in terms of them dechartering us. We, we said what we wanted. They still didn't listen in terms of banning our leadership. And on top of that, now with this stuff, I, I, I hope that it changes. Break the cycle because this is embarrassing for all of us. This is a huge waste of all of our time. We don't like picking these fights. We don't want to. But you know what? If you fucking won't do the right things and continue to 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 not hold these people to account then we're gonna do that because we can because there's literally these memberships and these endorsements they are tangible things that matter to these people and that's all you need it's just like a little kid right. you take away a cook yeah. they want right <laughs> if you take away the kids broccoli they don't give a shit right <laughs> i won't uh if you don't do this i'm not gonna give you uh you know your cookie in three weeks from now if you don't do this now no kid's going to listen to that. It's the same thing with the, yeah. the same thing with politicians. It's the same shit. And it's not belittling them to speak that way. This is just basic. Again, it's basic psychology and understanding how power is conferred. Right. And they don't have that analysis. They just don't. Yeah, it's awesome. Good point. Good point. I'm going to so try to be quick here because I already know we could go for like five hours. Um, and we're already like. <laughs> um, so just going to start off with, for the record, I love broccoli. Thank you very much. I always got to get my greens. Oh, <laughs> my kid? goodness. Yeah, I as if a kid. That was too. your only. Yeah, I love broccoli. Okay. I love spinach. Okay. I love all that. So like, I quick anecdote. What, my parents took me to Blockbuster and they did this thing when I was a kid in the '90s, where they would like record a like VHS videotape you, and they would like ask interview like you were a celebrity or whatever. And they're like, what is your favorite snack or whatever? And I was like, cucumbers. <laughs> and I like fought them. Oh. Got in a fight with the fucking blockbuster employee. And I was like, no. They're like, say candy. And it was like, cucumbers like are Butterfinger awesome. BB. We love our greens. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I'm going to try and be- That's an Arab thing, Maria. That's an Arab thing. We, um, love, our, we love our cucumbers. I, yo, okay. So I'm going to try and be quick here. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's a beautiful story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, so going, <laughs> it was a beautiful story. Oh my, I love, I learned DQ yeah, was. was a psycho Sid Mark when he was a kid. Now I know Maria has been a cucumber Mark her whole life. My goodness. Anyways. Yeah. Cucumber Mark. That's a new term. Anyways. Okay. So, uh, I, uh, okay. So going back to what MJ, what you were saying about how like, oh my goodness, all this time we've spent on this. I'm gonna just keep it real. Your boy over here went into a straight up fucking meltdown and like resigned in protest over like a lot of this shit so like talk about like the amount of time we've spent on all of this like good god almighty and i think you make a critically important point as far as the importance of dsa and the ability of dsa to affect electeds more so than people may imagine um something i i always like to say to people especially us here on this podcast and i'm sure whoever's listening to this um is that to us who are so deep into DSA, yeah, we might know that inside it's a fucking joke, right? I used to say, yeah, it's the fucking Wizard of Oz up here. It's a fucking little guy behind a curtain with a crank. <laughs> we might we might know that, but for whatever Wait, reason- you're going to get this fart but, lawsuit going. <laughs> yo, here's the thing, though. But let me finish. I said, we might know that. I'm sorry. We might know that. No, I love you, DQ. We might know that. But to the outside world, to the mainstream media, for whatever reason, they take DSA seriously. Right. And I look no further than my one of the more infamous things I did, right? The Venezuela delegations, right? I'll never forget. <laughs> we had not only did we have Elliot Abrams, the butcher of Central America, writing an op ed mm -hmm. about us, terrified, mm -hmm. right? Because of what we did in Venezuela. We had what's her name? Uh, Rhonda McDaniel or whatever the fuck, the chair of the Republican Party, tweeting about us. 
the chair of the Republican Party tweeting about it saying, oh, my God, did you see what these people did? Right. Like we ha- like DSA, like like I said, we know it's all fucked up on the inside and how the sausage gets made. But for people on the outside, they don't fucking know that, man. And they see it as this legitimate force and whatever. And we got to use that. Right. Um, maybe that sounded super cynical, but I think you guys know what I meant. Um and the last thing I'll say here that you were mentioning there, MJ, and it's kind of like I feel like a big theme here and the theme of the question, the very important question that you raised there, DQ, which is listening to your bases, right? Responding to pressure is so important, right? It's the mark of true leadership, in my opinion. Lead by obeying, right? The Zapatista saying, lead by obeying, right? Responding to pressure, right? We have too many people in leadership who have their already like prescribed formulas for what the fuck is supposed to work ahead of time and when you have your prescribed formula like that you can't you don't respond to pressure right you don't take criticism kindly right people have got to understand that no matter what sort of and this even took me a while to understand no matter what criticism is coming it's coming in good faith right you got like a lot of people sometimes don't have context about what the fuck is happening on the national level, right? Whether that's on the inside, the outside, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's so important to respond to pressure. And the last, last thing, that's right. There's a last, last thing here, um, which is to me, one of the biggest problems within DSA that I think releases is that it means nothing to be a member, right? One of the things I always wanted to, to try and do was make being a DSA member mean something and not just for electeds, for us, Right. Joining DSA should fucking mean something, right? You should know that you're joining the fucking community. You should like be, I don't know, be getting something out of like, I don't know how the fuck to like put it into words or whatever, but right now being a DSA member is virtually meaningless for electeds, for paper, et cetera. And that's got to change. Okay. I'll shut the fuck up now. The only people, the only people who it's really useful for right now, the, the truth is the only, the only people that DSA is really, really serving uh, are the people who are hostile to our movements. Mm. I, maybe that's yeah. a mistake, but like that's that's yeah. why I feel a lot of times. Um, yeah, we give like like if you look at the high level stuff, it's it's a lot of it is giving cover um, to like whether whether intentionally or not. So you could put attention intentions to the side. It's not what this is about, but it's just how it's playing out. That we give cover mm-hmm. to Bowman, we give cover to uh, to Nithya, and we're we're so focused on uh, being their cheerleaders. That, like you said, Austin, we don't criticize. Not only do we not criticize ourselves, but to the point of who we confer authority to, we look to these figures mm-hmm. and we give them legitimacy by saying like, oh, yeah, no, they're, they're really great on this and only highlighting their successes. And, and maybe that's yeah. part of the problem is just this shyness of confrontation. Like maybe there's just a lot of unconfrontational people. Maybe everybody on this podcast, we have confrontational personalities. And, uh, and we need, we need, we need. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Maria's always trying to fight me. I mean, uh, it, it, does, it really does take all of us to, to like make it work. That's the thing. Yeah. And uh, one thing Austin was saying too, that just uh, made it click in sort of like the like inverse example. Um, one campaign I worked on in LA outside of the DSA world, because DSA was decidedly not involved in it, even though they tried to maybe, uh, steal some valor was the Kenneth Mejia campaign um, who did get in with most votes in the entire election in LA um, last in November, 2022. And I think he's done a really good job of being accountable to his left base, holding uh, semi-regular meetings with all of us who worked on the campaign and volunteered with the campaign, even still while he's in office, taking suggestions, taking feedback from the people who helped get him elected. And these are the kind of models I think we need to move towards doing if we want to be serious about this kind of serious about electoral work is how 
How do we continue not just like meeting with electeds when they've done something wrong, but just in general, like having this sort of open dialogue continuously about like what is going on, what needs are need to be met by the electoral elected people and like what's missing? What do we need them to go harder on? Those kind of questions I, I feel like tend to be missing in some of the electoral discussions I see happening inside of DSA. Yeah. I don't think until, until we uh, actually get our shit together um, as an organization and actually start doing the things uh, like actually doing like actual consequences, uh, there's just no reason uh, for them to go against the lobby, which is what Bowman told us. Bowman's chief of staff said, we're just not ready to go against the lobby. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, the NPC majority came through and said, uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay, you don't have to do that yet. You could do that. When are you saying you'll do that? Oh, never exactly. Okay, that's fine. So this transformed from like a plug into a whole interview. (laughs) (laughs) All I can can ask is uh, please do everybody check out, uh, first of all, check out our statement uh, on Nithya Rahman. Like I said, it wasn't just signed by us. We had grassroots organizers in LA who told us about this stuff and came to us. So we're doing this. This is very bottom up here. Okay, so um, try to support us. Uh, sign on to our statement, actually. That's key. If you have an organization, get them to sign on. If you have a local chapter, get them to sign on. And also be on the lookout for our anti-Zionist resolution because um, I, I think it can be really transformative in terms of not just like for, for Palestine, but I think it can be a rare case in American politics. Like I know this is really like saying a lot here uh, and maybe very ambitious, but like it can be the first case in American politics where Palestine wasn't the last thing that we came to, but Palestine's going to be the first thing that we draw a line on. Because clearly it's a, it's a fucking something about it works as a great litmus test in the United States. And I think we could all theorize a lot of reasons why that is uh, because of all the issues that it intersects with. But we want to make that first. We want to show people this is how you do, uh, how you draw the lines for, for these like red lines for these uh, politicians. And then hopefully from there, we could do that for all the other issues that intersect with Palestine, which is every issue. Extremely well said there, MJ. Unless anybody else has any final thoughts there, I, maybe we'll get you back on to talk wrestling someday. I don't know. I don't know if you want it. We'll have to watch a show with you. We'll, we'll, we'll learn. Oh, we'll, I love that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I was about to say, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to learn you some of the way yeah. we do it. Um, but no, that was, that was extremely informative. And uh, I guess since this has transformed into a full episode, I will do our customary outro that I literally just made up on the spot earlier. Tell the haters, the lovers, the friends, and especially the marks, peace and love.